Hey everyone, this is The Fullest, a new podcast all about what it really means to live life to the fullest. How it's not what we might think, how it's definitely not what we've been sold, and how it's better than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine in Jesus. So if you want to know what it really means to thrive and flourish in this life, you're in the right place. I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited to go after it with you. Welcome back to The Fullest. We are in episode six, and I could not be more excited about it because we have my friend Dominic Doan on the podcast. And Dominic is a pastor at Westside Church in Portland, Oregon. He's also the author of When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadows of Doubt. And not only is Dom a fantastic communicator, phenomenal expositor, brilliant thinker, uh, he is a guy who has gone through his own journey of doubt and come out stronger on the other side. And so this book, When Faith Fails, is immensely helpful, not just because it's deep and insightful, but because it's intimate and personal as well. And I wanted to bring him on the podcast because Jesus has invited us into life to the fullest, but his vision is totally different from every other vision that we are presented in our culture. Every story of the good life that we see in the media, movies, TV, music, whatever, looks totally different than the story that Jesus has to tell about the good life. And so I think one of the struggles that we all have in following Jesus isn't just obeying him, but it's believing that his vision of the good life is better, that he actually knows what he's talking about. He is the one who possesses life in in himself. He is the one who sustains it. He is the one who gives it freely. And it's better than anything else. And I think we all struggle with doubts. I think of Asaph, who in Psalm 73 cries out to God and talks about how he almost slipped because he looked at everyone around him and was envious of them. They were wealthy. They had all kinds of blessing and prosperity in their lives. And his life wasn't so great. They were wicked, and yet they were succeeding. They were uh, haters of God, and yet they were prospering in every way. And he's like, I almost slipped. I struggle with doubt. Is Jesus actually the best? Is Or for him, is, is Yahweh actually the best? Is he really going to lead me into life and life to the fullest? And he talks about this inward struggle, this doubt that he had. And yet the doubt propelled him back into the sanctuary, into the presence of God. And when he was in the sanctuary, he remembered. He saw God for who he truly was and remembered that he was better. And I think that that's really what Dom's book pushes us to. It's not to uh, fear doubt. It's not to look at doubt as something to be necessarily avoided, but it's to look at doubt as something to propel us forward and to push us deeper into a more raw and real relationship with Christ. So that's what we're going to get after today. If you're struggling with doubt, I know it's going to be incredibly helpful for you. Um, If you've never struggled with doubt before, it's coming. And so hopefully this will prepare you for it when it does come. But either way, I hope it encourages you. I hope it helps you uh, in your journey into the good life. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Dominic Doan. 
Dom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How's life in Portland? It's surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Still on lockdown. Um, but uh, I think people are starting to change their minds about that. <laughs> yeah. I came out to the church. I'm literally the only person here at the church. But <laughs> the streets are beginning to get packed with people who are just getting a little stir crazy, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the fatigue is real. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. What what's uh what's been the best book you've read in quarantine? Oh my goodness. Um, well, you know, I, I was mentioning one to you just a few minutes ago called For the Life of the World by Miroslav Volf. Hmm. And it's this argument about how we as followers of Jesus need to understand that following him is a call into the, a flourishing life. And uh, he kind of lays out the theology for that. Um, mm. So that was really good. I'm reading one right now that I'm loving because of the writing. The writing's just really well done. Um, mm. And it's a philosopher that's intrigued me for a while. But um, it's called Philosopher of the Heart. And it's the, the story of Soren Kierkegaard. Mm. And um, so that I'm just, I'm loving and about halfway through right now. Mm. So that's been really good. Uh, I kind of like to read widely, mm. you know, so I usually have kind of a finger in a theology piece and then a finger in some, you know, philosophy, mm. love history as well. Mm. Um, so, and then every now and then pick up a good fiction too. Yeah. I'm always probably halfway through a dozen books and, um, yeah. If I finish one, I'm pretty pumped uh, because yeah, yeah, exactly. I have I have reading ADD. Um, which is, I know it's yeah. tough. I mean, because we have limited time, yeah, and you don't want to spend it on a book that's not going to like grab you. Mm. And um, so I I used to feel really bad about that, you know, having books <laughs> that were read like 50 pages or something like yeah. that. I need to just finish them. But on the flip side, like time is short. And hmm. if you find a book that's really speaking to you, then invest in it. Um, and if not, move on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. It, looking for a book that grabs you because that's, that's the best way I can think of describing it. And I've never really had words mm-hmm. for that. Um, and well, speaking of books that, that grab, and this is going to be a clunky transition, but, um, your book, when faith fails was one of those books. And I, I read it a couple weeks ago in quarantine and I finished it, which is how you know that it grabbed me. (laughs) Uh, but man, it was so good. I absolutely loved it. It was, it was moving, stimulating emotionally, intellectually, as I I just was sharing with you, it was enlightening in in so many different ways. And, uh, I wondered if, as we start, if we could talk about doubt and what it actually means to doubt and, Mm -hmm. um, why it's not unusual, why it's a, a normal part of the human experience, just about everyone listening will have doubt to some degree. Why is that? Why is it part of our day in and day out lives? Yeah, man, I, I love that question because, you know, I kind of for years had a perspective of doubt, that doubt was always wrong, that doubt was always bad. Um, but as I personally went through a season of doubt and then also just beginning to understand God's heart towards the subject, it kind of reframed um, how I perceived it. Um, that doubt, like you said, can actually it can be uh, an invitation into a deeper, more robust, more authentic faith. Mm. And I think our response many times to doubt is to suppress it. And I I think the reason for that is many times a a poor theology of doubt. So in the book, you know, in chapter one, I go back to Genesis and 
for most Christians that I've talked to, myself included for years, my theology of doubt came from Genesis chapter 3. So there you have the story of Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, you have this, the serpent who's talking, he tempts them, and basically tells them a lie, puts doubt in Eve's head, she believes it, and then she eats the fruit, gives it to Adam, and then chaos, and injustice, and sin, and death, and COVID-19, and all that enters <laughs> the world. Now, in that story, the enemy uses doubt in a very destructive way. Um, and so for many people, that's where the theology of doubt starts, is that it's always bad, it's always evil, it's always wrong. Therefore, it's something you need to suppress, you need to run away from, and don't really talk about it. Mm. But in the book, I argue, actually, a good, healthy theology of doubt needs to go, not to Genesis 3, but two pages earlier, to Genesis chapter 1. Mm. Because in Genesis chapter 1, what you have is God, an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, creating something. And by definition, God creating something, he's not duplicating himself, right? Mm. He's not creating another God. He's, he's by definition, he's creating something that in some sense is going to be less than him. Mm. And because it's less than him, this is kind of getting in the philosophy realm, but because it's less than him, it's going to, uh, by definition, have limits and mm. barriers. And so what you find in Genesis 1 is an infinite God creates a finite world. An infinite God with no limitations makes a world that has limitations and boundaries and barriers. And Adam and Eve, they had limitations to their intellect. There were things they didn't know. Um, they had limitations to time. They had limitations to space. I mean, Eden was a very literal garden hmm. with barriers and boundaries to it. And so if we begin there in Genesis, what we find is it's because we live in a world of limitations, time, space, health, energy, all that stuff, lifespan. It's because God created a world that way that questions, uh, mystery, even doubt is born. Hmm. Because what you find in Genesis is because we don't know all the answers, because uh, there are limits and boundaries, we're going to wonder what's on the other side of those limits and boundaries. And, and this is another point I make in Genesis, that God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in a, a fixed place, but at the same time uh, as limits and barriers, he made them deeply inquisitive and curious. Mm. And so there's like this, this fuel, this, this passion, this desire to learn, to grow, to explore. Uh, in, in fact, I think God invited them to that. He's, you know, one of his first commands was, you know, be fruitful, multiply, but then also, you know, enjoy this world, explore this world, understand this world, mm -hmm. cultivate this world. And God wants his people to be the kinds of people that ask questions and grapple with difficult things. Mm -hmm. So w when we begin in Genesis 1, we actually see, oh, wait a minute, doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's actually something that is very natural. It's a byproduct of being human. Hmm. <laughs> we don't know all the, all the answers. And so naturally there are going to be seasons in our life when we doubt. Hmm. And see, this is why when you go, when you skip ahead to Jude verse 22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Hmm. Um, and that word mercy there means to repair a broken bone. It, it means, you know, when you go through time of doubt, it is un unsettling. Grappling with mystery and uncertainty can be a very challenging thing, mm. but the posture of scripture towards the doubter isn't one of uh, blaming or judgment, but rather of mercy 
and grace. Mm. And I would argue even invitation into greater depths, uh, a, a grittier, uh, more raw relationship with God. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And I loved one of your analogies. I loved a lot of them, but one of them, I, I can't remember if it was a quote from someone else or if you made this up, but it was uh, doubts are like ants in the pants of faith. They keep it yeah. awake and moving. I, was just, <laughs> I yeah, laughed was, out loud yeah. when I read that. <laughs> that. Yeah, that was a quote from Frederick Buechner. I, I, I love that because uh, doubt actually can be the very thing that keeps a relationship alive. Hmm. And and what I mean by that is, so here, here's an example, like my relationship with my wife. I love my wife. Uh, we've been married now uh, almost 20 years. And there's a lot I know about her when you're married to someone. You get to know that person. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also things I'm still learning about her. Hmm. Um, and this is true in any relationship. You're going to discover aspects of their personality as the years go by that maybe you've never seen or you know, I hear a story from her past. Oh, I didn't know that. Or I see her respond to a situation in a way that catches me by surprise. Like, wow, that's fascinating. Or maybe I see her, you know, interest in musical taste begin to shift a little bit as the years <laughs> go by. The point is like a, a relationship, if it's going to be alive, if it's going to be growing and, and um, it's going to be vibrant, there's going to be that aspect of uncertainty. So if I literally knew everything about my wife, if I knew every thought she had, if, if I knew every word that she was going to say before she spoke it, if I knew every placement of every atom, um, not only would that be kind of creepy or weird, but I, I think it would in a sense hinder the progression of love hmm. because true love is the pursuit of love. A mystery is the lifeblood of intimacy. Hmm. And if, that, if this is true in relationships, if relationships in order to flourish do have a certain sense of mystery or invitation to explore. What, what if the same thing is true in our relationship with God? Mm. The, the, we don't know everything there is to know about God. We're learning, we're growing, but because God is infinite, there's going to be infinite aspects of him to discover, right? I think mm. this is what will make heaven so beautiful and compelling is this continual process of learning and growing and worshiping and understanding and we're at the very beginning stages of that process. And doubt is actually the very thing that can cause you to grapple with the difficult questions. Mm. And in the space of grappling and wrestling, that's where a faith that is your own is born. Mm. Uh, that is where you are taken from just a faith that you've maybe uh, received from your parents or a faith that isn't really authentic or a faith that maybe is surface to a faith that plums the depths to a faith that is, in, you know, in the words of Lewis, I don't know why you utter no answer, um, but mm. you yourself are the answer. Mm. Before your face, all questions die away. Um, he said that until we have faces, C.S. Lewis. Mm. And I think that's the kind of relationship God wants from us. Um, mm. Relationship that's real. Yeah. Would you say then that doubt is is neutral and that, Obviously, it's the ants in the pants. It's the it's the driving force, and, and usually it springs up in chaotic times, in times of loss and, and suffering right. and trial. I think COVID nineteen has been a season where millions of people around the world have been ushered into a season of doubt. Are you saying it's a, it's a vehicle? It's neutral, and, it, and it's either going to drive you uh, into a deeper, more authentic, um, more mm -hmm. robust faith, or I guess it could take you the other way too. 
Yep. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I mean, the word doubt uh, comes from this Latin word, um, dubitare, and dubitare just means two. Um, so doubt, if you study the kind of the linguistic evolution of the word, it simply means a heart that's been divided or is uncertain or is wavering. And that um, in and of itself, I would argue is a neutral thing. It's how you respond to that moment that makes all the difference. <laughs> so in the case of like Adam and Eve in the garden, obviously doubt was used in a very destructive way. And the way they responded to it was a step away from God. Um, but in other places in scripture, um, you see the, the man who comes trembling before Jesus, desperate that his son would 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 uh, be healed. And he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. He's struggling with doubt. He's wrestling. And yet that doubt actually drove him to be more honest with Jesus mm. and to be real with Jesus. And it was in that space that, that healing was found. So I do think doubt, by definition, is kind of a, a neutral thing. It's a natural thing. It's something that everyone is going to experience. It's something that no one should feel shame for. Um, sadly, many churches have done the opposite and kind of shamed those who have doubt or ostracized those who have doubt. Um, but actually, no, it's it's very normal. Um, I think most people are going to inevitably go through a time where they ask questions. I think COVID-19 is a great example mm. of that. But it's how you respond. Um, if you think of like a river, um, on one on one bank of the river is faith. On the other side of the river is unbelief. Doubt is the river that is in the middle. <laughs> and mm. it's how it's it all depends. Okay, am I gonna use this to swim closer to faith or am I gonna use this as an opportunity to pursue unbelief? Mm. And I think that's an important distinction too, because for years I kind of saw doubt as being the same as unbelief. Mm -hmm. They to me they were like synonymous terms that you could use. Mm. Uh uh, to describe the same experience, but they're not. Um, in the Bible, actually, the, the Greek words for doubt and unbelief are different. Um, unbelief is a sin in Scripture. Unbelief is an unwillingness to commit, an unwillingness to believe. Um, it's kind of that hardened resolve. Doubt, on the other hand, totally different Greek word, means you're torn, right? It's that dubitare, Latin word. Um, you're uncertain. It's John the Baptist who's languishing in prison, uh, sending a message to Jesus and saying, are you the Messiah <laughs> or, or not? Like yeah. he, he had questions and, you know, Jesus didn't shame him for that. You know, a lot of churches today would. They'd be like, obviously you don't believe and you're kind of less spiritual than everyone else. But Jesus didn't shame him. Instead, he, he called John in that moment the greatest prophet that ever was. Huh. So Jesus wasn't troubled or scandalized by John the Baptist's doubt. Uh, he showed mercy, Jude 22. He showed mercy to the doubter. Mm -hmm. And he actually affirmed him and encouraged him. Said, hey, this is the greatest guy, greatest prophet ever. Mm -hmm. um, and you see, you see that play out all throughout Scripture. So many examples mm -hmm. of people who had questions, who had doubts, and actually, in that place, when they were real with God, they didn't try and suppress it. They didn't try and hide it. When they were real with God, that's how their faith grew. Uh, mm -hmm. David, the book of Psalms, I mean, it's littered with gritty, raw questions. Like, 
how long, O Lord, or <laughs> my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? These yeah. re- like hard questions, hard questions. Mm. And, and, and God doesn't censor those questions out of scripture. He could mm. have, he could have said, you know what, that we don't want scripture to be that way. Right. Yeah. We just want it to be affirmations of faith. But instead, God gives space in the Bible for people who are asking those hard questions. Um, and so we need to understand that God's perspective uh, is, is different, I think, than how many of us have understood doubt to be. And doubt being a byproduct of our humanity and our limitations and our weaknesses um, can be an opportunity for us to swim closer to deeper faith. Mm. Would you say that Jesus was experiencing doubt in the garden and on the cross? Yeah, boy, that's such a good question. So that is a loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So in the garden, he's like, you know, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Um, on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Um, that's all. He, he's quoting from the Psalms. Mm. Secondly, he's identifying, I believe, with our humanity. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. Yeah. And as a human, he's going to experience those emotions of loneliness and fear and foreboding. And by speaking those words that were prophesied, you know, hundreds of years before by David, now the son of David, Jesus, is stepping into that space and saying, yeah, there are times in life where it's going to feel like God has abandoned you. Hmm. There are times in life where you wonder, God, do you even care? There are times in life where like, you know, St. John of the Cross, dark night of the soul, Hmm. you're you're going to be going through a dark and lonely, painful place. And that's, that's okay. It's not because you're a terrible person. It's not because you know, God's judging you. It's not because, you know, there's something wrong with you. You're going through that because A, it's human. It's what it means to to follow Jesus, that there's going to be highs and lows and ebbs and flows. But you're also going through it because it's an invitation by God to for you to step into a deeper relationship with him. And, and the only way that any relationship can grow is by living in times of questions and doubts. That's mm. how we learn. <laughs> mm. That's how we, if there's no tension, then is it genuine? You know, I, I came across a, a guy um, a couple years back and he's like in his late twenties and single, um, but really, really wanting to mingle, like really, <laughs> really wanting, really wanting a girlfriend. And, and like virtually every time I see him, it's like, Hey, you know, uh, he's telling me about some girl he's dating, but nothing's worked out. <laughs> And then last time I saw him, he's like, I've been dating this girl for six months or whatever. And um, I'm like, how is it? And he's like, it's great. He said, you know, what's so amazing about a relationship is that we haven't had a single argument. And he's telling me, he's telling me like, that's a really good thing. He's proud of that. Hmm. And, and, and he's like, isn't that great? And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's actually a good sign. He, he <laughs> said, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, if you're really learning about that person and if she's really learning about you, like they're, they're going to be times if it's a real relationship they're going to be times of tension they're going to be times of you don't see eye to eye um and that's a good thing like the tension is good because it draws things from the deep places of our heart drags it to the surface it makes us forces us to engage with stuff we'd rather not engage with 
it's how we learn. It's how we grow. Mm -hmm. And I think even tension in our relationship with God, those questions, those moments of, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long, oh Lord? Mm -hmm. That actually is a sign of health. It's a sign of God saying, look, there's stuff I want to show you. There's things I want to reveal to you. And this difficult question that you're wrestling through uh, if you choose to wrestle through it, like Jacob who wrestled with God, um, it's going to change your name. It's mm. going to change your nature. It's going to re reveal things about who I am to you that you've never learned before. Mm. This is a journey that's uh, really personal for you. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about your journey and how God used doubt to bring you closer to him through it? Yeah. Um, boy, so I wasn't raised in a Christian home, at least the first half of my childhood. Um quite the opposite, actually. And I shared some of that story in the book. Um, and then later on, like middle school, high school time, our family um, became followers of Jesus. Um, and yet, e even in that, those early days, I remember having doubts. Um, I think some people are more wired this way. Um, some people just naturally are always wrestling with something, you know, mm. in their spiritual journey. And uh, not everyone, like there are some people I know, uh, when you talk to them about doubt, they just kind of look at you with a blank look, like <laughs> they've never doubted. It's like, they've always yeah. believed they, they were born, you know, they came into the world singing hill songs, you know, those <laughs> kinds of people. Um, and like, that's, that's great. Like if, yeah. if that's someone's journey, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but for me, um, yeah, I've always kind of wrestled with stuff. And I remember high school kind of wrestling with questions of what I'd seen, gone through growing up. Um, there, you know, my dad was an alcoholic before becoming a Christian. There was just a lot of brokenness in our home. And so I remember having questions then. Uh, then I spent a year in Mexico as a missionary working with disabled orphans. And these are kids who had just been through hell um, and were really uh, struggling with some severe uh, disabilities. And so I spent a year there and um, just fell in love with these amazing kids and yet also deeply broken by seeing their brokenness. And so I remember struggling with that. God, why? Why would you allow these, these amazing children um, to be born this way and to suffer this way? Um, became a pastor in Hawaii for a few years and there, you know, as a, you, you know, this, like as ministry leaders, you walk with people through, walk with people through times of suffering and grief, mm. um, that, that raises a lot of questions. And, and then, yeah, um, in 2010 went to Oxford and that was kind of like a homecoming for me because I was born in Oxford. Mm. Um, so it's great going back and it's always been my dream to go to university there. And so long story short, did a master's of theology, but I, I used that time um, to kind of set aside a season of my life where I'd say, you know what, I've had these questions for years, uh, mostly related to, to the problem of evil and suffering, um, but there are a number of qu other questions I had too. And for years, I've kind of been suppressing them and haven't been really honest um, with myself um, or others or God for that matter mm. about how deep these questions are. And I'm just going to take a season of my life and really wrestle with God. And um, mm. so part of the program there, the first year was actually a deep dive into atheism. Mm. And so that was actually uh, really good <laughs> for me in the sense of I, I got to kind of see the other side and um, 
honestly got to see just how empty that worldview is. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, strong intellectual arguments they make, but it, you follow those paths down to their uh, inevitable conclusion, and it's very empty. Mm -hmm. um, Nietzsche, he said, if you stare into an abyss long enough, it stares back into you. Mm -hmm. And I, I began to see atheism um, as kind of the abyss. Mm -hmm. um, intellectually um so seeing the poverty of, of different worldviews uh contrasted with the beauty of of christianity um so it's the times i'm bringing these questions to the surface and hashing them out and i go into that in the book you know some yeah. specific topics yeah um just begin to see how robust and beautiful um the christian worldview is and kind of like falling in love with Jesus again. Mm. Uh, it was just a, it was a beautiful uh, season of my life and I'm so grateful for it. Mm. Um, but I think an important point needs to be made is not like I went through that and that was the end of my doubts. I never doubt, never have questions again. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, to this day, there are still things I'm wrestling through and thinking through and wondering. And to be honest, like there's some things I, I just don't have a clue. I don't know, mm. you know, um, and there, there's kind of like a bucket in my brain that says, I don't know. And I put things in that bucket. Like, I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah. And you know what? I think that's okay. I, I think, I think it's okay to have a faith where you're, you're wrestling, you're growing, you're asking the hard questions, but at the end of the day, just be able to say, you know, there, I don't understand. Here's an example. Why there's so much violence in the old Testament or, I don't understand why God would allow COVID-19 or I don't understand why, you know, my mother-in-law just a couple months ago passed away suddenly. Mm. Um, like there's some questions um, I don't know the answer to and, and it's okay. Right. It's like what, mm. what C.S. Lewis described in the grief observed where mm. he went through loss and tragedy and heartache. And um, the first half of the book, he's like pouring on his grief in real time. Yeah. And, and questioning and doubting and struggling and hurting. But then what you see with Lewis is his faith is kind of re restructured, reborn, yeah. um, put back together, but with less of an emphasis on certainty, having to have all the answers, hmm. bullet point Christianity, less of emphasis on that and more of an emphasis on intimacy, relationship and trust. Mm. And I, I think that's what God wants from us is it's not so much about certainty, having every single answer. It's about learning to trust, learning to walk with him in the valleys and the mountains too. Um, learning to say like Job, even if you slay me, yet will I trust you? Mm. Um, learning like Jesus in the garden to say, if it's possible, let this cup pass, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Mm. Um, I, I think so many times we, we're obsessed with trying to find every answer. Um, and that was part of my story. Um, but I think a, a deeper faith, which, you know, I'm trying to pursue and trying to chase after. And what I'm learning is that the kind of faith God is leading us towards is one that lives in the place of trust and intimacy and and honesty and um 
not trying to get all the answers necessarily, but trying to get more of him. Mm. Right. Yeah, man. That's so good. I appreciate you sharing your story and uh, obviously you share more in the book, but people can buy it and read it uh, if they want the, the full fleshed out uh, version. But one thing I do want to circle back on, you've mentioned wrestling uh, mm-hmm. several times and, and you, you mentioned Jacob earlier and, and wrestling with God and, and leaving with a new name. And I think it's so important for you to expound on wrestling a little bit and, mm-hmm. and why it was so important for Jacob to wrestle with God and why it's so important for us to follow in his footsteps and wrestle with God mm-hmm. and what that actually looks like. I love the way you talked about it. You said, you know, Jacob's first experience of God wasn't a handshake. It wasn't a hug. It wasn't a fist bump. God literally took him to the mat and broke his hip. Mm. <laughs> so, why, <laughs> why was that a good thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that story yeah. uh, of Jacob wrestling with God. Um, you know, if, you, if you've seen Nacho Libre, he's kind of the first, oh, the so world's good. first luchador, you know? <laughs> it's so, so good. I love that Jacob, reference too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jacob the Luchador, he, he, you know, he's a guy who, you know, we, as we talk about having a deeper faith, having a faith that's real and authentic, Jacob needed to get to that place because he had inherited a faith. Mm. And I, I think one danger of being raised in a Christian home is that sometimes we just absorb the faith of our parents rather than making the faith our own. And to a certain degree, that was kind of Jacob's story. Um, but at the same time, He's deeply flawed. He's deeply mm. broken. There were issues in his life that needed to come to the surface. There were questions that he had about God, about his own character, his own calling. And God wanted to flesh that out in him and bring it to the surface. And so the way God does it, this very dramatic, kind of visceral, uh, gritty experience was, yeah, he he wrestled with him. And, mm. um, and it was God's way of getting Jacob to really confess and be, be real with God. You know, there's that, that, that line in Genesis where um, God says, Hey, what is your name? So they're in the middle of this wrestling match and he has like a headlock or something. He's like, what is your name? And God doesn't ask him that because God didn't know, like obviously God knew his name. Why does he ask him then? Because he wanted Jacob to own who he was. And as you know, like that word Jacob literally means like, conniver skill grabber (laughs) scoundrel dirty sneaky thief right that's that's what it means in in hebrew and so god's like what's your name who are you right Mm -hmm. because in hebrew culture your name reflected your nature Mm -hmm. and vice versa so jacob had to own his name he had to say this is this is who i am this is what i'm struggling with this is what's inside of me right Mm -hmm. and then god changed his name in that moment of honesty in that moment of raw vulnerability, God then says, I'm changing your name to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Yeah. And he walked away from that, that night, uh, limping, right? Because mm-hmm. his hip was broken, but his name was changed. And you see, that's what seasons of doubt that do to us. You, you don't walk away from a season of doubt with all the answers victorious. I mean, you might, like you may, there, there's certainly answers out there. I don't, I don't want to underplay that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, but you'll walk away, not necessarily with every answer to every question. You'll walk away with a name and a nature that has been changed by God. Mm. And you've encountered him uh, in, in a way that you never have before. 
and you'll limp for the rest of your life because seasons of doubt are hard. Mm. It's, it's challenging, right? It's painful. It's disorienting. Um, but you'll also walk away uh, deeper and uh, transformed by, mm. by God's spirit. And so I, I think that story of Jacob wrestling with God is an incredible template for us. Mm. And also became a template for Israel, um, mm. his descendants. Um, I mean, the, the Jewish people historically, you look at the rabbinic culture, uh, it's always been a, a culture that values questions, right? Mm. It's just the way of the rabbi. You ask yeah. questions. It's how Jesus taught. You ask questions. Huh. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the gospel. <laughs> that was his primary, that was his primary mode of teaching. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, God actually commands his people. He says, when your children ask you questions, so not if, but when they're going to ask you questions and this is how you're going to respond. So God, God is cultivating in Jacob, Israel, his descendants, the nation of Israel, this ethos of the values, learning, growing, being real, asking questions, because it's in the question that truth is found. Hmm. I've never wrestled with God physically. Hmm. You know, he's never you know, come down in, in the middle of the night and, you know, awakened me so that we can go at it. Right. And so how, how do we practically wrestle with God and what does it yeah. look like in the seasons of doubt to, to wrestle and to wrestle well mm. so that the river takes us to the side of faith? Yes. Oh man, that's, that's a million dollar question. And so in the last third of the book, it's devoted to that. Cause I didn't want this just to be a book that's, you know, kind of, philosophically, theologically talking about doubt as a concept. I wanted to be something that is very practical too. Mm. And the the beauty is there are some very practical ways to like go through seasons of doubt. I think, um, you know, the top of the list, as we see in the story of Jacob, I, th I think prayer mm. is, you know, the starting place, you know, Jesus said, come to me when you're weary, heavy laden, um, and how could you rest? Mm. And so, taking a season of your life and saying, you know, I'm going to be more real with God than I've ever been in my life. And I'm going to just bring this to God and be honest with God mm -hmm. and share with them my struggles or write them out like David did in the Psalms or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's poetry or painting. Maybe you're an artist, a writer. Like there are so many ways that we can, through art and through the imagination and um, just the, the space that, that you're in, reflecting how God made you can actually be a moment and opportunity for you to give voice to your prayers. Mm -hmm. So I think prayer is an incredible starting point. Um, I think another really important thing is community. Mm -hmm. um, one of the worst things we can do is try and isolate ourselves mm -hmm. in seasons of doubt. And I've known people have done that. I've even done that in my story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so unhealthy because doubt's greatest strength is secrecy. Um, and, and it actually, I think, gets more malignant and toxic when you just keep it hidden. Um, but when you drag it into the light, doubt can actually be redemptive and life-giving. And so God's given us his bride, the church, um, to be with us in those seasons of doubt, to walk with us in those seasons of doubt. And uh, I, I know, sadly, not everyone's going to understand. Like Some people your community may or may not like resonate with the story you tell, but find those people who love you, who trust you, who you love and trust and, and just be real with them and say, you know, I'm wrestling with this issue or what do you think of this question? And it's amazing how 
just having a community to walk with you in those times of doubt can be so healing. Um, mm. I found out recently that the ancient Chinese, they used to have these uh, vessels, these jark vessels. And if, if any of them broke, instead of throwing the vessel away, they'd actually take a very thin gold leaf and cover up that crack with the gold leaf. And it wasn't put there to try and hide the crack, but rather to draw attention to it. Huh. In other words, the ancient, the ancient Chinese believed that the crack is actually what made it beautiful, gave it character. <laughs> oh, wow. And I think, I think that's what Christian community needs to be at its best. You know, sadly, the church doesn't always reflect that. But uh, Christian community is an opportunity for broken, flawed vessels, jars of clay, like Paul calls us. Uh, with our with our flaws and our wounds and our doubts and our struggles to come together and let grace be the gold leaf mm. that, that covers us to, to show mercy you know the physician uh, mending a broken bone to show mercy to those who doubt and that's best done in the context of community mm. uh, thirdly I'd say learning um, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart soul mind and strength and um, like I mentioned earlier, um, it's not all always about finding the answers. It's about intimacy and trust, but there are answers out there. And it's amazing how just picking up a good book or uh, listening to a good podcast like yours, um, <laughs> just, just kind of devoting yourself to a new season of going deeper um, in learning and, and wrestling through whatever question that you have um, can actually be so illuminating mm -hmm. and so I, I, you know, to get even more specific on that, if someone say is struggling with, you know, the, the problem of evil and suffering, um, don't just like read half of the God delusion by Richard Dawkins, right? And, yeah. and then say, okay, well, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore. I actually know people who've done that, yeah. who they, they've had a question and they read like half a book and they've made up their mind. Right. No, go deep, like read books on both sides, go all in, learn, grow, grapple. There's so many resources out there right now. Um, and I mean, we're, we're so blessed with technology at our fingertips. Like yeah. there's a wealth of information. And so I think flowing out of community, you can get some really good, healthy resources that mm. you can take a season of your life and grow in. Um, and then finally, I, I would say another very practical way to working through times of doubt is to ask the question, what would it look like for me to redeem this doubt? Um, and I, I, I devote a good chunk of a chapter just to this concept. Mm -hmm. um, it was B Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said that um, when we see injustice, our response should be to drive a spoke into the wheel of injustice. In other words, get to mm -hmm. the source of the injustice. And from the core, that's where we try and redeem it. Wow. And I kind of take this concept of, of redemption and uh, apply it to doubt and ask the question, okay, what is it that you're wrestling with? What issue is keeping you up at night? Um, what thing are you most having a hard time with in the Christian worldview? And then, then ask the question, what would it look like for me to redeem this? Hmm. So here's an example. Um, I mentioned her, uh, I think it's chapter four. Um, a woman who went through the horrific um, killings that, that happened um, in Uganda, um, yeah. Sister Rosemary, and my encounter with her. And she she's seen horrific things, uh, kids 
butchered and families torn apart. And, you know, it's during the LRA and um, this army of child soldiers and kids that were kidnapped from their homes and forced to kill their parents and just horrible things that happened about 15 years ago Mm. in the northern part of Uganda. And she saw this, like she was there for that. And yet, um, rather than fleeing and running away, she set up a space uh, that became a shelter for for kids. And and now it's a school. Now it's a place of healing. And I remember asking her, you've seen the worst suffering imaginable. Uh, How did you deal with that doubt? Mm -hmm. And her response was so beautiful. I mean, she, she basically said, look, I, I don't know all the answers to why God allowed it, but what I've decided is to, to fight this injustice with love, right? To overcome, in the words of Paul, overcome evil with good. Mm. And we can take the things that we wrestle with, um, our doubts, our struggles, we can actually redeem them. We, we can, instead of just saying, you know, being angsty our whole life and brooding over some philosophical question, uh, we, we can say, you know what, this does bother me, but I want to be an answer to that. Mm-hmm. God, why aren't you speaking? You know, a lot of people wrestle with the silence of God. Okay, what if you turn that around and, and asked, what would it look like for me, God, to be a voice to the voiceless? Mm-hmm. What would it look like for me to speak truth and hope and life over those who are searching for it? God, I don't know why there's evil and suffering in the world. Well, you can brood on that question your whole life and get really bitter about it. Or you can say, you know what? I want to devote my life to helping overcome this suffering. I want to devote my life to tackling whether it's sex trafficking or, you know, injustice or racial inequity or whatever, whatever thing is just really troubling you. You can be the answer to your doubts. And so I, I think this is a real healthy way of, of looking at doubt. And, and Jesus did the same thing. Yeah. You know, when, when he struggled with why his wife died, he could, have been, he could have died a bitter old man because of that. But instead, he took that kind of unresolvable, unanswerable question of why, and he redeemed it and gave voice to it mm. and wrote about it and spoke about it. And now here we are a couple generations later still mm. being challenged and changed by the words that he wrote. Yeah. So to me, that that is one redemptive way <laughs> that we can move through seasons of doubt and actually see doubt be something that brings hope and life to others. Man, what would it look like for you to be the answer to your own doubt? to own it, to seek out answers, to go to the mat with God and not let go of him until he gives you a new name. What would it look like for you to take those unresolvable, unanswerable questions of why and redeem them? Those are some incredible questions and thoughts from Dom. And really everything he said in the last 40 minutes was pure gold. But in all honesty, We barely even scratched the surface on this topic. If you want more, go to Amazon and buy his book, When Faith Fails. I'm telling you, it's one of the best books I've read in the past few months, and you will not regret it. The Fullest Podcast is produced and edited by Jonathan Perez. Original music was composed by Evan King. And of course, I am Ben Davey. Thank you so much for listening. 
Until next time.